We have been in a sermon series this Advent season simply entitled, We Like Christmas. We do like Christmas. We like the hope of Christmas. We like the giving of Christmas, the generosity of Christmas. And this morning we close by thinking about uh, liking the beauty of Christmas. And I want to read two scriptures to you, uh, one from Isaiah the prophet, chapter 61, and the second one from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Isaiah 61, the first four verses, the Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, announce freedom to all captives, pardon all sinners. God sent me to announce the year of His grace, a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn, to care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion, give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit. Rename them oaks of righteousness, planted by God to display His glory. They'll rebuild the old ruins, raise a new city out of the wreckage. They'll start over on the ruined cities, take the rubble left behind, and make it new. And then sort of as a response, almost a hymn, uh, almost a, a song, in Ephesians, Paul writes about this marvelous gift that God has given us by giving us Jesus. And Paul says this in Ephesians 2, 5 through 10. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on His own with no help from us. Then He picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where He wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all His idea and all His work. All we do is trust Him enough to let Him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join Him in the work He does, the good work He has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. That's God's Word for us this morning. Beauty. Don't know that I've ever just preached a sermon on beauty. But one of the reasons we love Christmas is because it's such a beautiful time of year. You drive around neighborhoods, you see all the houses and lawns and trees decorated with lights, you see all the businesses and the stores decorated, you go to the department stores and hear the music, you come into the sanctuary, you see all these beautiful lights, uh, the advent wreath, the poinsettias, and, and it's just really beautiful. And you, and you ask yourself, why can't we keep this focus on beauty all the time? And it's a good question. I had a great worship experience um, a few weeks ago. It was the Sunday of the Christmas musical, so I didn't have to preach. So my mind was a little freer to just be in the moment, what I've been preaching for you to do. And uh, it was Lord's Supper Sunday, so I was because the deacons had filled the, the front rows all the way across, I was sitting way over there 
in front of the organ in the very front pew. And so my line of vision was sort of blocked, but I had this marvelous worship experience because right over there by where, hi Rod, there, where Rod is, uh, I was sitting and the music was just beautiful. And at that time, all the Christmas shoeboxes that had been wrapped and made ready uh, were still here because the, the trip had not been made to South Dakota yet. And I was just looking at all those beautiful shoeboxes, and I thought about all the great things that, that will happen in the kingdom of God as we both give and receive gifts with our partners in South Dakota, and I just thought, beautiful. And then I looked a little higher, and I saw the poinsettias, and I looked a little higher, and I could see the flickering light of the Advent candles. Beautiful. I looked a little higher, and I could see the choir and hear the choir. The music was beautiful. I looked around and saw the banners. Beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Christmas is a beautiful time of year. And I don't want to put too fine a point on it about the beauty of the sanctuary because Scripture teaches and we know that you can worship God anywhere. You can worship God in a cornfield. Ask me how I know. You can worship God... On a, when you're scrunched up on an airplane. Some of us have prayed a lot on airplanes, haven't we? You can worship God in a house. You can worship God in a storefront. You can worship God in a warehouse that's been converted to worship space. God's not limited, but I do want to make the point. Worship space is important. Biblically, worship space is important. Sanctuary or worship space should point us toward God. I think Eugene Peterson was dealing with this concept. He wrote a book uh, not too long ago telling about the only time in his ministry when he was pastor of a church that was building a new sanctuary. They got to start from scratch and just build a brand new sanctuary. And he, after a great deal of study and prayer, began to realize that a sanctuary is a work of art. You ever think about that? Because he said, by definition, art is that which gives us access to mystery. Art is that which gives us access to mystery. Now, I have a son who's an artist, and uh, Joel has been teaching me a lot in the years since he's been drawing and painting. And that's true about any art, whether it's music or the visual arts or, or the performing arts, that good art uh, acts as sort of a conduit, or to use the language of computer, a portal into the divine, into the mystery of God. Because it's through art or through beauty that we can experience things that cannot be put in words or mathematical formulas. And so I think Peterson was on to something. Worship space matters. Add to that something I read recently by an Old Testament professor. He said, you know, When the Hebrew people were instructed by God to build that temple in the First Testament of Scripture, that that great Jewish temple, they built a temple that would take their breath away. It was huge. It was ornate. It was beautiful. It was imposing. And it was designed in such a way that they would feel like they had stepped into paradise in the Garden of Eden. And that Old Testament professor reminds us that one of the definitions of holiness is beauty. That one of the ways that we talk about God 
when we say that God is holy is that we're saying that God is beautiful. And so this Old Testament professor said the Old Testament temple, the the, uh, Jewish temple of the Old Testament, had these imposing huge columns that seemed to go on up into the sky forever. They had these banners made out of linen that were embroidered with expensive embroidery. All around the temple there was inlaid gold and silver and copper, and every inch of the temple was designed to scream out the message, God is beautiful. God is not like us. God is other. Something important happens in this space. God is beautiful. And that, I think, is some of what happens at Christmas. Is because we're attentive to the to the need for the eye to be fed and the ear to be fed with beauty because God's so beautiful. Now, just to prove to you that I'm not just stuck on beautiful sanctuaries, though I love to preach in this space, um, another aspect of beauty is simplicity. Simplicity that's sort of set in beauty all around it. And that's, of course, the Advent message of Jesus' birth. There is a, there is a beauty that is also simplicity. Um, Will Campbell, who just passed away, a, a famous Baptist writer and preacher, uh, tells the story about the year that his mother, who lived very simply, received a new bathrobe for Christmas. She was so proud of her bathrobe. It was plaid, it was green and blue and black, and it was just wonderful. She was so proud of it that she wore the bathrobe to church the first Sunday after Christmas. And her family was embarrassed. Her grown children were humiliated, they were mortified, and they told her so. And listen to what Will Campbell's mother said back to her grown children. You just hush. We can all relate, right? Wishful thinking, right? You just hush. Then she said, I think it's purdy. And then she said, and anyway, God deserves our very best. God does beautiful things, and God deserves our very best. See, at Christmas, God could have just sent down a baby. Stark, naked, simple, plain, here he is. But God sent down the simple beauty of the baby Jesus, but he garnished the plate with beautiful things, beautiful music, angels' chorus, the sky lighting up, the star guiding the magi. He didn't just do the simple He did the beautiful around it, and any chef will tell you, it's okay to serve simple food, but just make sure the presentation is attractive. And so God did this beautiful thing at Christmas, but it's so simple. He gave his best, and he expects the beautiful from us as well. And by the way, If you have some time, just get out of concordance and check all the references in Scripture to beauty and beautiful. 
not going to list them all, but I want to show you three scriptures that you probably know, but you hadn't thought about the word beauty that much. But there are so many more than these. Psalm 27, 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Uh, Psalm 52, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Isaiah 28, 5, in that day the Lord of hosts will be a garland of glory and a diadem of beauty to his people. All these references to God's beauty and God sharing beautiful things and making beautiful people and expecting beauty from us in return. What an amazing concept. No wonder we love Christmas so much. All this beauty around us. But if you're having trouble latching onto this concept of beauty and why it's important, just think of the polar opposite of beauty, and that's ugliness. Think about the ugliness in our world right now. Wow. Police officers assassinated in New York City. The racial tension and the hatred and the the mistrust, not only between races, but between classes of people. Wars and homeless refugees and famine and diseases. But don't stop there. You know, the ugliness is not all out there. What about the ugliness in my own heart? The junk that bubbles around in there that I don't want you to know about. Selfish thoughts. All about me. And I just get so ashamed sometimes at the ugliness inside. And I want to go ug. Ug for the ugliness. U-G-L-Y. I ain't got no alibi. I'm just ugly. And you, and you are too at times. But the beauty of the Lord sort of shines brighter in contrast to all that ug inside of us, doesn't it? And that's where our scriptures come in. The one from Isaiah Uh, Isaiah is sharing with people who are despondent and broken. They've disobeyed God. God removed all of the safety nets, and he allowed them to experience the consequences of their choices and their disobedience, and they're a a nation that's broken. And in Isaiah 61, that, by the way, is the the scripture that Jesus preached from in Luke 4, his inaugural sermon. in Luke 60, or in Isaiah 61, there is that, that message to a broken people. They are broken. They are in pain. They are enslaved. And they are in need of answered prayer. Do you know, what they, you know anybody like that this morning? Broken? In pain? Enslaved? And in need, in desperate need of answers to prayer. You know, you can think of a new definition of sin. Sin is, yes, disobedience to God, but another way to think about sin is a distortion of beauty, a distortion of what God intended. And Isaiah says there's a, there's a trade-off, there's a swap that's going to happen when God begins to work. There's an exchange, there's a trade. He said... Beauty will be given instead of ashes. Ashes describe 
acts of repentance and remorse and grief and sorrow. And God says, I'm going to take away the ashes and I'm going to give you a bouquet of roses. I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. And one translation says, God will give a beautiful diadem instead of ashes. A diadem is some kind of cloth band that is worn around the head. The cloth band is studded with jewels and beautiful ornaments. It is a sign of royalty worn in biblical days. It is a sign of importance and significance. It's a sign of dignity. God says, yes, you're broken, but I love you. You're somebody. You matter. You are beautiful to me. You are important to me. You have dignity. You have worth. I've loved you in Jesus Christ. Here is your crown, and it's a beautiful crown. I'm going to take away all of your ashes of repentance and grief, and I'm going to give you beauty. I'm going to make you beautiful. And that's how God is. That song we sing, He makes beautiful things out of dust. He makes beautiful things out of us. God is in the beauty business. God is beautiful. The Savior is beautiful. And and He is making beautiful people. He's making a beautiful world if we'll get in step with that. That's why I read the uh, scripture from Ephesians, chapter 2, where Paul says, uh, we're not saved by our works. That's ugly. That just leads to ugly pride. He said, Good works do not produce salvation. Salvation produces good works. We don't work in order to get saved or stay saved. We work because we are saved. God did something beautiful in us, and we want to share that beauty. In fact, Paul goes on to say, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I've read a lot of translations. I still like the old King James best on that particular verse. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that word, that Greek word workmanship, is literally poetry. We are God's poetry, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are God's beautiful artistic expression, created in Christ Jesus for good works, to do beautiful things in the world. Robert Deming was... uh, as a boy, orphaned. Both his, both his parents died when he was young, and Robert Deming became very bitter. In fact, he became so bitter that he became a practicing, avowed atheist. And then one day he came to faith. He came to Jesus Christ. And someone asked him what affected the change. And he said, well, it was a patient, loving wife, the witness of a patient, loving wife, and my family and my friends. And then he went on to say something that I wrote down because I considered it pretty important. Pretty good advice if we're trying to share faith with someone who is skeptical, who has intellectual barriers to faith, or seems uninterested in the things of God. He said, be patient with those you love. He's speaking to believers now about how we should bear witness to those who seem so far away. He said, be patient with those you love and do what you do with beauty, care, 
and reverence. Be patient with the ones you love and do what you do with beauty, with care, and with reverence. Because God is in the beauty business. Jesus is a beautiful Savior, and He makes beautiful things. Let's pray. God, we ask you to take the twisted, distorted, unpretty parts of our lives and transform them. Do your work in our hearts, whatever it needs to be this morning. Through Christ I pray, amen. You may look this way. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing in our response time. And the response time is simply an opportunity for us to not only listen to the Spirit of God, but to act on that. Uh, Some of us will be here at the front to receive you. If you, have a, if you want to inquire and know more about what it means to follow Christ, uh, or if you're ready to follow Christ and you just need some help sort of stepping across that line, uh, we'd love to be here for you. Maybe you want to come and pray about something. Maybe you're ready to join this church, transferring your membership. Maybe there's a special need, whatever it is. We're just going to trust God's Spirit to work in, in all of the situations.